Our scripture passages today come from the lectionary, texts that are read around the world by many different kinds of Christians. Even though these texts were chosen long, long ago for this day, they are appropriate for our time. We have two passages, one from the Gospel of Luke. The second, I'll only read a portion of Psalm 27 because we'll hear all of it in the sermon itself. Let us pray. God, send your Holy Spirit upon us that the Spirit might work in us that which is new and good in your sight, that we might hear with joy and receive with wisdom what you are saying to your church this day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. From the Gospel of Luke. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Jesus said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way. Because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you were not willing See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And from Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yea, wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few days ago, I was witness to a serious car accident. It happened right in front of me. In fact, it happened all around me. I was the first one to call 911, and in the midst of all the chaos, people running, sirens blaring, and with the echo of shattering glass and crumpling metal, the 911 operator asked me, Sir, tell me what you saw. Breathlessly, I recounted the unfolding events which car came from where, and who hit whom, and what, uh, at what make and color of each car was. And then the operator asked, What are you seeing now? And what I saw were people running from every which way, people running to help, to get people out of cars and to safety. People of different races, in different social backgrounds, helping complete strangers. 
I saw a bit of goodness in the land of the living. The author of the Gospel of Luke writes of events to which others were eyewitnesses, events surrounding Jesus of Nazareth who walked this earth in the midst of chaos and the echoes of a shattered world. Luke says at the very beginning of his testimony, since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided after investigating everything carefully from the very first to write down an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. In the opening of his gospel, Luke speaks to a certain Theophilus, who may have been a real person, uh, named Theophilus, or he may have been anyone who loved God, for that is what the name means, Theophilus, friend of God, one who loves God or one who is loved by God. Now, throughout his gospel account, Luke's, Luke bears witness to those who love God about the good that God is doing in the midst of troubled, trying, and disturbing times in the land of the living. A few chapters later, Luke famously reports Jesus at the beginning of his ministry reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah, saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the good that God was up to in Jesus, setting right what had gone wrong. Jesus was in God's world, a world with poor, with captives, with the lame and the hungry, and with the blind and the oppressed. All this was happening in God's world, a world that once God had declared good. Something had clearly gone wrong. And Jesus walked and talked and taught and healed and delivered and rescued and set free and set on edge a world waiting in eager longing for the goodness of the Lord. Jesus not only proclaimed good news, he was himself good news. And the world didn't always react very well to this goodness in the land where they were living. Too many had become used to what had gone wrong for them to envision what could go right. After Jesus had read those words from Isaiah, this is how the crowd reacted. Good religious folk. And Jesus rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were on him. And then he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All of them spoke well of him at first and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, 
Doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did over there in Capernaum. And he said, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in, his, in a prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel at the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land, yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath over there in Sidon. And there were lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except for Naaman, the Syrian. And when they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage, and they got up and they drove him out of town, and they led him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off of the cliff. But he passed through their midst, and went on his way. They didn't seem to believe that they would see the goodness of their God in their midst, and while they were living, they missed it. They missed seeing what God was up to. They missed seeing Jesus. Nine chapters later, in our passage from today, in Luke's account, Jesus is still getting himself in trouble in a troubled world by doing what God had sent him to do. And a group of his most vocal opponents comes to him and says, Hey, you'd better get out of here. Herod is looking to kill you. Now, we have no idea what their intention actually was. Did they wish Jesus good or ill? Were they warning him or were they trying to scare him off? Whatever their motives Jesus shows no fear. He cuts to the chase. He doesn't even buy in to all the spin of the new local news channels that is going on. Tell that old fox that he isn't able to see what God is up to. Tell that Herod that even if he had 1,000 eyewitnesses to tell him what I've been up to, he'd still misconstrue what is going on. Look, I keep so busy working for the kingdom. I keep so busy working for the kingdom. Keep so busy working for the kingdom. Keep so busy working for the kingdom. I ain't got time to die. I'm doing God's work. Surely Herod's not capable of seeing what is truly good going on in what he thinks of as his kingdom. Look, you tell all those folks up there in Jerusalem at the center of the world that they got one or two things coming their way. And when it all unfolds, when what God is up to unfolds in their own streets, their own thoroughfares, it will all look like death to them. Jerusalem's used to it. Stamping out those whom God has sent to set things right. It's happened before. It will happen again. Because they believe that they will only see what is horrifying and bad in the land of the dying. Woe to those who live through such days. Jesus' words are not a comfort. I'm sure those Pharisees walked away befuddled, frustrated, and indignant. Who does he think he is? All we can see is that he is heading for trouble. 
Jesus knows his scriptures, though. He knows the fate of the prophets. He knows what happens to those who bring God's good news. He knew it back there in Nazareth, in his own hometown. He knows that everyone was just too used to the world being filled with the poor, with captives, with the oppressed and the downtrodden, the lame and the hungry and the blind. The folks in Jerusalem were never going to see a man stepping onto the world's stage, their busy city, and ever let him gather up the young, their children like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings to protect them and to keep them from harm. Nobody was going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living anytime soon. And as Jesus went about furthering the kingdom, healing the blind, healing the sick, tending to the lame, preaching good news to the captives this day and the next day and the next day, keeping busy working for the kingdom. I can imagine that the stories of the prophet were not the only scriptures in his head. I'm sure his every step fell in cadence with the Psalms he knew so well. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war rise up against me. Yet will I be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord. And that will I seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in the shelter in that day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high upon a rock. And now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. And as Jesus got to this point in the psalm, I'm sure he'd let the reality of what was coming overwhelm him and sing the lament the psalmist sings. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says, seek his face, and your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger, you who have been my help. Do not cast me off. Do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. If my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies round about me. Do not give me up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they are breathing out violence. Jesus. Jesus lived and worked, healed and taught, preached and ate in a world that had been upended by violence, chaos, disorder, with the threat of war always just outside the walls of the city, always at the borders of the land. He was on his way to Jerusalem, a city that had seen its share of violence in the thousand years that came before, and a city that would see violence and destruction in the years and centuries to come. 
And yet Jesus' faith was the faith of the psalmists. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yea, wait for the Lord. Jesus' earthly ministry would culminate in a city that had seen much death. And yet this was where God would enact redemption. And those who would witness Jesus' death would be divided by what they saw. And in what they saw, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Or life given for life. Life given up for life abundant. There are parallels to our own time. Every preacher worth his or her salt, every reader of Scripture and every generation sees the connections. The world is groaning in eager longing. The whole creation, subject to futility, awaits for the revelation of the good that God is doing even here and now. What word of hope does this generation look for that the old foxes of the world, the Herods, have missed? Our Lenten journey is one taken in step with the sufferers in this world. And our Lenten journey is one taken in step with the cadence of the psalmist who proclaims the Lord is his light and his providential care. Our Lenten journey in this life is one taken in step with the one who says, you will not see me until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, who comes to the blind, the lame, the hungry, the war-torn, the ravaged by disease, and proclaims the time of the Lord's favor and grace. This is the time to say that we shall truly see the one who brings sight and deliverance all the while that he walks along with us in this lonesome valley who helps us to say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil for thou art with me. I learned a little something this week. Believe it or not, somebody with a PhD can still learn things. And that's that the word love and where it comes from. That the word love and the word believe actually come from the same root word, which means to cherish. And so when the psalmist says, I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, we could think of the psalmist saying, in love, I shall see the goodness of God here and now. When I witnessed a serious accident take place inches from me, what I saw were caring people running to offer aid and comfort and support and a little bit of goodness in a trying and terrible moment. For the world to see the goodness of the Lord and trust and even believe or beloved that this could be so in our time, we must act in love, the love that Jesus inspired and lived and makes possible. So we can affirm, affirm that in love they shall see and we shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Stand fast. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. 
and live in love. Amen.